0: Genesis, and this is the third message in a series of 24 from this great book of beginning. Our title today is The First Gospel in the Bible. I mentioned last Sunday and leading up to today that the first gospel was not John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but it's really in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And I want to begin with a very important statement. I think some of you need to hear this. From what I pick up around, by way of comment, I believe this is an important statement for us to begin with. God is not the author of sin. God is not the author of sin. It is totally and completely the work of the devil. Don't ever blame God for sin. Blame the devil for sin. The devil was a beautiful angel originally. We have pointed back to Isaiah chapter 14 on several occasions already in this series. Verse number 17 states what happened when this beautiful angel known as Lucifer fell or literally was cast out of God's presence. Isaiah 14, 17 says, he made the world like a wilderness and destroyed its cities. If you want to know the effect of pride, if you want to know the effect of going one's own way, just look at that statement, he made the world like a wilderness and destroyed its cities. The devil is behind sin and destruction, death, sickness, and all that plagues us in this life. It is therefore so important to learn God's truth because it is God's truth that sets us free from the snare that the enemy plants in our way. As long as a person will hold to God's truth, Satan can never win. We do not have to be a pushed-around victim of his circumstances. We can control circumstances with God's truth, not controlled by circumstances. I want you to see something in my introductory remarks today from verse 1, verse 4, and verse 5 of Genesis 3. When I mention that it is important to know God's truth, let us look at what Satan did with truth. In verse 1, the devil questioned God's word. Hath God said... You see how subtle that is? We see that today all around us. Hath God said... There has been a trial in our city recently that has captured the interest of the nation. It's been on all of the network newscasts. The trial about evolution versus creationism. The problem is this problem. Hath God said the questioning of God's truth? When I preach to you from chapter 1, I said the four most beautiful words in the Old Testament are the first four. In the beginning, God. That's God's truth. He was there in the beginning and he brought everything into existence. But man questions it. Man does mental gymnastics with it. Faith will not take hold. Hence, we put ourselves into a very weak and finite position. The second thing is in verse 4, where Satan literally now denies God's word. You see, it starts with the question, and then it moves to denial. Ye shall not surely die. It can't happen. So he denies what God says, because God said emphatically, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. Satan comes along in verse 4 and says, you will not die. The third thing is in verse 5 where he substituted his own lies. God said, you will die. Satan says in verse 5 to Eve, in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as God the King James says, as God's, but literally translated from the Hebrew text. It is, you will be as God. Now that's what he wanted. In Isaiah 14, it says he wanted to be like God. And God will not share his glory with another. So Lucifer, with a third of the angels, was cast out, and now he pulls the same trick on man and says, Your eyes will be open, you shall be as God. And of course, that catered to the desire of man. But notice how that evolves. He questions God. Hath God said, he denies the truth, you will not die. And then he substitutes his own lies and he makes it sound so wonderful. Your eyes will be open and you will be like God. He has not changed his tactics in all of the centuries of time. He still works in the same way. He tries to undermine the goodness of God in the lives of men and women. He makes the temptation sound wonderful. You shall be as God. You will be like the Most High. And everyone he endeavors to lure into that path of failure. He didn't make it, so he doesn't want anyone else to make it. He knows his fate is sealed, it's doom, it's eternal damnation and separation. So he wants everyone else to go the same route. Even centuries after the chapter we're looking at today, he approached Jesus in the wilderness and he said to Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will fall down and worship me. What a lie. He wanted to destroy the plan of salvation. He wasn't interested in giving him anything. He wanted to destroy him and to thwart the eternal purpose of God in the life of Jesus Christ, God's Son. He's still doing that. And then another question comes to me as I evaluate introductorily this event in the Old Testament. And it's this question. Why is it that we do not like to sin alone? Why did Satan want to affect all of the others? Why is it that we don't like to sin alone? Eve didn't want to sin alone. She got Adam involved. And therefore, man was plunged into judgment. In my pastoral ministry, I have seen this over and over again. Fathers who force their sons to drink. Literally saying, come on, be a man. And force their children into alcoholism. The young person who drags the friend down the trail of degradation. That friend says, you're young only once. Come on, be one of the group. What are you? Anyway, a sissy? Why is it that we don't want to sin alone? Why is it that we want to pull everybody else with us? You know why it is? Because it's difficult to sit in darkness all by yourself. That's why. Nobody likes the darkness. So to have company in the darkness, we affect others with our own poison. It started with Lucifer, and it's still a part of us today. I know of husbands who wrangled and wrangled until the wife went along with his wicked deeds. I know mothers who wouldn't let their teenager alone until that teenager gave up the idea of a God and a pure life and went the way of folly. Satan lied, harassed, cajoled until man gave in. And he keeps giving in and giving in. And it takes the miracle of God to put the pieces back together again. Now, our message today deals with the judgment that follows what I've just shared with you. Three points. You're writing notes on the back of the bulletin to remember what we say. The first is internal condemnation. Internal condemnation. Anyone that goes this route will suffer internal condemnation. Condemnation. There is a loss of innocence and glory in sin. There is a sense of guilt with anybody. Verse 7 reveals this because Adam and Eve immediately tried to cover their nakedness. What made them know they were naked? Before there was nothing wrong with it. In the sight of God it was beautiful. Everything was lovely. But now, after failing and sinning against God, they tried to cover their nakedness. Their own works would not suffice now, and the result was a loss of fellowship with God. They hide. They hide as God comes along to talk with them. They run from the presence of God. Does that remind you of anyone you've known in your life? How we try to get away from God? A songwriter picked that up out of his own experience and said, You cannot hide from God. And the psalmist said that. When I go into hell, you're there. When I go up into heaven, you're there. Everywhere I go, you're there. It's true. You cannot hide from God. But the internal judgment is given and you endeavor to do it. There are people in church today who try to hide from God they put their best on, they come to church, but they're not honest with God. That's where we get the word hypocrite from. That's why the world points its finger and says, yeah, you go on Sunday, but I know what you do on Monday. What it is, is that internal judgment where we're not honest with God, we won't really face up to the issues and say, God, I am naked before you give me a covering. We just go on in our Stupidity, thinking that we are fooling somebody. Then there is a self-defense mechanism that takes hold. Have you got a hold of your seat now? Notice what happened. The man says, she made me do it. The woman you gave me, it even blames God, the woman... You gave me. If you hadn't given me that woman, nothing would have happened like this. And then what does the woman do? The serpent. That beautiful creature you put in this garden, he made me do it. And the buck just keeps going like that. Like a roller coaster. And that is our problem, and it has to do with internal judgment. The Spirit's putting His finger on our weaknesses and our mistakes and our sins, and we say, oh, if I had only been here here in this place, or if I hadn't been with this person, or if I hadn't come across this situation, if, 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 if this hadn't happened, always passing the buck. It's because of internal judgment. The internal effects of sin, guilt, fear, and shame are very real things and they have a heyday with the disobedient soul. You can't get away from those inner feelings. Do you know that even in atheistic nations, they can't get away from those inner feelings? That's why you should pray for communist countries. It doesn't matter what the government says. Every individual in those countries have inner feelings. Stalin's daughter, when she defected to the United States at the age of 42, stood at the New York airport and said, it is impossible to exist without God in your heart. Now, where did she learn that? Not from her father, Joe. She went on to say, religion has done a lot to change me. Then she made this statement. Get this. There are no capitalists or communists For me, there are good people and bad people, period. That's what Joseph Stalin's daughter said after growing up in the home of the leader of the greatest communistic country in the world. She said there are just good people and bad people and you cannot exist without God in your heart. The inner judgment of God Upon every soul that ever lives. Who are you trying to blame for your sin? For your hiding from God as He gently calls to you, just like He called to Adam and Eve after their sin. Face up to it. The second thing that's important is the external condemnation that develops. And there are three individuals here that we must look at the serpent, Eve, and Adam. Those three the external condemnation. First, let's look at the serpent. I alluded a few moments ago to the fact that he was not always the crawling creature that we know today. When we hear somebody talk about snakes, when we hear somebody talk about a python crawling around them or a cobra in a basket sticking its head up, and someone looking it right in the eye. We recoil. It's not very pleasant to most people. But the serpent was not always that way. The Bible indicates it was a very beautiful creature. In verse 14 of our chapter today, the Bible says, The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, because you have tricked the people I put on this earth, Thou art cursed above all cattle. Now get this. And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go. In other words, he wasn't there at that point. He was an erect creature. He was able to communicate with Adam and Eve. He was not the snake that you picture in your mind. He was beautiful. He was intelligent. But the external condemnation for the devil was this. To your belly... You are going to go, and thus will you eat all the days of your life. Oh, I wish snakes could talk. I'd like to hear them explain their plight. Have you ever thought about that? They're the lowliest creature on earth, the most despised creature on earth, and it is all because of the external condemnation that came to the serpent because of his beguiling Adam and Eve. Now, the second person is the woman. God said to her, because of your disobedience, you will bring forth children in sorrow. Now, not only would it be painful at birth, but for many mothers to raise children is a deep, deep sorrow. Many children have sent their mothers to an early grave by their wickedness, waywardness, disobedience. It is the external condemnation, the hurt of life because of the failure in the beginning. The external condemnation for the woman was, Eve, your husband will rule over you. Up to this time, that was not even necessary. They were even, equal. But now, because of Eve's beguilement, God had to say, this man will be over you. And ladies, I care not how many laws are passed, how many organizations are founded. It will be that way till the end. And it's for the good of all women. God made us that way. God extended his kindness to the woman in her sin through this control and through this headship. God says, ladies, you need it. Don't fight it. Now, we love and appreciate every woman. We're not putting anybody down. We're just saying that the external condemnation had to do with a weakness in woman that God said, I will give you a man to protect you in. Don't fight it. It's for your good. Together, we can build and we can do, and we can be what God wants us to be. There's a further word on this in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, verses 8 through 15. Paul, in writing to the church, indicates that a Christian woman who marries an unsaved man may have special dangers in bearing children. Read it sometime. A woman is to continue in faith and love and holiness with sobriety, Paul says. In other words, our choices affect us. Eve's choice affected her and all ladies forever. Can't get away from that. That's the external condemnation of it all. And God didn't let the man off the hook either. What would his judgment be? His external judgment. It would involve his work. Why is it that so many look forward to retirement? It's the external condemnation passed upon man. You see, God put man in a paradise. It was fruitful. There were no weeds, no thorns. It was all productive, beautiful, and he was just to tend that marvelous, marvelous garden of paradise. But because of his sin, it became a wilderness. And there's a big difference between a wilderness and a paradise. The joy of sharing in the garden becomes sweat and toil in the field. It's not work that's the penalty, but the obstacles of nature that plague man while he works. Have you ever thought about it? Arthritis, the gout, pain, the wind and the weather. You go out and do a job and the wind comes along and ruins it. Or sleep or snow, or rain, or whatever. Have you noticed in the news of late how many farmers want to get out of farming? Why? Because nature seems to be against them, as well as government at times. Drought, pestilence, what we call acts of God. They're not acts of God. They're results of sin. That's what they really are. And it is the external condemnation that was passed upon man because of his sin. Farmers in Texas are saying, I want to sell my herds. I want to get out of the business. I can't take it anymore. It's that nature seems to be against them. In the Midwest, it's the same. I've seen them on television. I'd like to sell all of my acres and get out of this. It's not fun anymore that which was to be a blessing became a curse because of the fall the judgment of man's sin external condemnation when we move into chapter 4 of genesis we see it again in the person of Cain the son of adam and eve in 1 john 3:12 the bible says that Cain was of that wicked one a child of the devil satan has children just as god has children And Cain rose up and murdered his brother because of the external condemnation upon man and the firstborn of man. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are in constant conflict. That's what verse 15 indicates in this chapter. But thanks be to God the final outcome we looked at in our last sermon from Revelation. Chapter 20, verse 10. Satan is cast into hell. Christ, the seed of the woman, wins the conflict of the ages. So I don't want to leave you down. I want to lift you up right now. Jesus is winning in this conflict. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is victor. Jesus is alive. And Satan knows he's going to be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. He knows his days are numbered. So take heart, my friend, though there is external condemnation in Jesus Christ. There is victory for today and victory for tomorrow. He is Lord and with those in the book of Revelation around the throne, we sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And that is the God we serve and the God we worship today. The third point of my message is this, eternal salvation. Internal judgment, external condemnation, eternal salvation. Right here in Genesis. Now follow me carefully. The only gospel Adam heard was chapter 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. That's the only gospel Adam heard. But do you know something? He believed it. And Adam was saved. I've had people ask, was Adam saved? Where did Adam go when he died at 930 years of age? He went to paradise. How do you know? Simple. Look at what he named his wife. He said, you will be called Eve because you're the mother of all living. The Hebrew text simply says, you will be called Eve because Eve means life. God has given us life. That's how I know Adam believed. Verse 15. Through the woman, God had promised the birth of a Savior. He did not change the physical consequences of sin because Adam died, but the eternal consequences, which is hell, were changed, thanks be to God. There was a paradise for one who believed, and Adam believed because he called Eve, Eve, life. Then verse 21 is a further picture. And I love this. Man knew he was naked, so God comes down and kills animals, sheds their blood, and walks to Adam and Eve and says, here are coats of skins; put them on to cover your nakedness, because they had been trying to use leaves from the trees to cover their nakedness. God said we can do better than that. So God became the first tailor on record. And he made them coats of skins. And they put those coats over their nakedness. But friends, there's a deep meaning to this. There was shedding of blood. That is significant. Blood was shed. Indicating sacrifice for the folly of this man and woman. In Exodus... The blood was put over the doorposts and the lintels of the houses in Egypt, and Israel was protected from the deaf angel in Joshua. Rahab put a red scarlet cord out the window, and she and her family were saved. When Israel came and the walls of Jericho fell down and that red scarlet cord continues all the way through the Bible to the book of Revelation where there is a Lamb sitting upon a throne slain from the foundation of the world. Blood for the redemption of mankind. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to His mercy He saves us. The innocent became guilty by their sin, but the guilty became innocent through the blood that was shed for them by the Lord as he came to give them the skins of animals. Garments in the Bible are often a picture of salvation. The prodigal son was clothed afresh when he came home. The father said, put the robe on him. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, Isaiah speaks of our garments of self-righteousness And that our good works are but filthy rags before God. And I think we understand that. But he gives us a new robe, clean and white, and covers all the ugliness and the degradation and the degeneration that was a part of our nakedness. Hallelujah. May I say something else in passing? One of the signs of degradation and degeneration in society is when people go back to nakedness. It's always been that way. The judgment of God fell upon Pompeii, Italy because of their nakedness and their gross sins. Now how is America going to escape? America will not escape. America is sunk into the pollution of nakedness. The theme is sex, 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 whether it's Rita Jenrett or Marilyn Monroe. It's exposed the body. It's always a sign of degeneration and degradation. We need a covering. And God gave Adam and Eve a covering. And that's not prudishness. There's a place for nakedness. But it's not in the public eye, according to the Bible. God put coats of skins upon them so they would not be embarrassed for their sins. But he told those in married happiness, the bed is undefiled. Sex is beautiful and wonderful and it is for your good. Use it to the highest degree, but use it according to the law that I have established. Otherwise, it's death, it's separation, it's pain, it's agony. And we choose what way we're going to go years ago in Kansas City there was a family by the name of Greenlease. some of you will remember the Greenlease case they lived in an exclusive area of Kansas City and had a 6-year-old boy that boy went to an exclusive school and one day a so-called aunt came to the school claiming this boy said she had come to pick him up the school let the boy go only to discover that this was not an ant, but it was a kidnap case. And they demanded $600,000 ransom for the Greenleaf boy. The father paid the ransom because they said they would set the boy free upon receiving the ransom. What happened? Our newspapers told the story that the boy's beaten body was found in a shallow grave. The kidnappers were found out because after receiving the ransom, they were celebrating and in their celebration, they got drunk and in a drunken stupor, they started talking about the case and were arrested in their drunken stupor. That father did his best to purchase freedom for his son only to be horribly betrayed. God created man for fellowship with him. God lavished his love upon his creation. Then came the fall. Satan wrested man from the select circle of God's presence by trickery, not by force, by trickery. Foolishly, man went along with the devil's plan. Sorrow, heartache, sickness, remorse, anguish, suffering, and death have been man's lot. If this were the end of the story, it would only add to our sorrow. But this is not the end of the story. Glad news has come. Here are skins to cover your nakedness. Though you have been betrayed, I will give you hope and eternal salvation. Put it on, put it on, put it on. And we can stand in the presence of a holy God unashamed without any reservation at all because God paid the ransom for our sins hallelujah you're not going to find out one bad thing about me because it's all under the blood you say i can't wait till my mate gets to heaven and God opens the books. boy will that ever be fun huh They've come to Jesus. It's all under the blood. It won't be there. We'll talk about that tonight. You better come and hear about the books. Praise God. Hallelujah for that. The ransom has been paid. 1 Timothy 2.6 Who gave himself a ransom for all. Matthew 20, verse 28 The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for all. The ransom is paid. And we're alive. We're not beaten to death and in a grave. We're alive under God through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 60, verse 2, reminds us of the continued work of Satan until Christ binds him forever. The words are these, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. And Joel 2, 1 and 2 says, For the day of the Lord cometh, Whenever you hear that statement, the day of the Lord, it does not speak of good things. It speaks of evil things, bad things. The day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The day of the Lord. So what are we living in? We call it the end time. It's the day of the Lord. There are clouds of thick darkness. There's gloominess that spreads over the land. But I've got good news for you today. The ransom has been paid. Friday morning in our board staff prayer time, one of the brethren gave a prophetic utterance and I quick grabbed my paper and jotted down the major thoughts as that prophecy came under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what made me do it was the opening of the prophecy. This was what was said, the day of the Lord. Oh, I said, I've got to get back. I'm going to talk about that Sunday. The Lord said, the day of the Lord is a day of gloom and darkness. But, for thee a day of blessing. Believe, all things are possible. Don't faint. You will reap if you faint not. There are stones in your path, but I am thy God. Call on me after large things. It shall come to pass. Hallelujah. The day of the Lord, a day of gloom and darkness. Yes, who can deny it? Who can deny it? Humanism and atheism and agnosticism. The day of the Lord is a day of gloom and a day of darkness, but for thee, here it is, a day of blessing. Glory to God. Live in it. Lift up your head, your redemption. draweth nigh. The first gospel in the Bible is Genesis 3.15, the good news of the woman's seed that would ultimately defeat Satan and his seed. Friend, if you're battling the conviction of God in your heart, stop battling. Yield. You're not going to win. It's already prophesied. So we sing, hallelujah, what a Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay and set him free. I will ever tell the story shouting, glory, 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 hallelujah, Jesus ransomed me. What a truth. As I close today, there is a question that was asked of Adam in the garden by God. Where art thou? Where art thou? You know what I believe? God is asking that same question of many who hear my voice right now. Where art thou? What have you been trying to hide? Why continually try to do it your own way instead of God's way? Where art thou? Now God wants a response. If you will respond, you will be healed. Adam responded, and Adam received the forgiveness of God. Whenever you respond to God, you will get through. Prayer gets through. You can know healing and health and salvation and deliverance. The Bible tells me so. The little children sing in Sunday school. That's why I know. The Bible tells me so. Whatever you have need of today, if you will hear God say, where art thou? And you will say, unashamedly, here I am, God, touch me, redeem me, take this out of me, this wickedness, this thing that plagues me. I want you, Lord. There will be a great, great victory. The Bible indicates in Romans 5 that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And much more, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Several times in Romans 5, you'll find those two words, much more, much more. You will have life, much more than all that life will bring if you just let Jesus have his way. God is saying, where art thou? He gave his salvation to the first family. In the beginning, and he's still offering it to whomsoever will. But we've got to answer the question Where art thou? I'm right here, Lord, and you know what I did yesterday, and you know what I did the day before, and you know what I need. Here I am. Come, let's get together, and it will happen. Let it happen. As we bow our heads in prayer, would you? All over this building, on television, by tape, Jesus Christ is near. Come to him, respond to him. He's waiting to touch your life. He comes to talk to you in the cool of the day. Our Father and our God, thank you for the Holy Spirit's anointing upon this service. May people be able to say, as Dave Pearson sang earlier, it is well, it is well with my soul. May there come that eternal break in the lives of young men, young women, mothers and dads, all of us, that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you, Jesus.